The Secrets of Stargate is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. I'm Joseph Malazzi, and you're listening to The Secrets of Stargate, episode 100. General West Jackson has identified the seventh symbol. All right, here we go. We are about to try to make a connection. All we gotta do is bust out of here, commandeer the ship, and fly on home. Indeed. You say that a lot. I know that this could be dangerous. But this is our job, right? It's what we signed on to do. It was never about going home. It's about getting us to where we're going. Hi, I'm Jack Barazzini, and you're listening to The Secrets of Stargate, where we talk about the hidden meanings and deeper layers found in the Stargate movies, TV series, and more. And joining me today are Father Corey Stika. Hi, Father. Howdy, Jack. And Lisa Jones. Hi, Lisa. Hey, Jack. And Victor Lambs. Hey, Victor. Hi, Jack. And also very excited to introduce uh, Joseph Malazzi joining us today. Um, thank you very much for coming on the show. We've uh, really been looking forward to this. Oh, thanks for having me. Awesome. Yeah, he's a... Uh, writer and producer on a SG-1 Atlantis and Universe, and his more recent work includes uh, the Sci-Fi Channel series Dark Matter and a Utopia Falls, which is currently airing on Hulu. Um, did you just want to tell us a little bit about yourself and just give, give, us, give our audience an introduction? Well, that, that was pretty much it. I mean, yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah I mean, I, I, I was a writer-producer on Stargate for 12 12- years 17 seasons uh, and then from there i went on to do my own show dark matter uh for uh, netflix and sci-fi for three seasons uh and then i did a friend's show called utopia falls as you mentioned and that was uh recently on youtube uh, on um hulu and uh i am presently uh, writing the development merry-go-round so nice. who knows what oh, the nice. future holds yeah <laughs> nice that's awesome so uh I, I, this is something I've been wanting to ask someone who's been involved with like the creative world. Um, I don't know if you've been following like all the developments with AI art and chat GPT and all these AI based tools that people have now. I have. What is your, what are your thoughts on how that will affect creativity? Cause I know I've seen a lot of people um, saying that that would be good for like developing concept art and stuff like that. Uh, yeah. I mean, I've seen the art and it's, it's amazing. Um, I, I think, it will affect different areas in different ways. I mean, I, I liken it to, I remember when I was on Stargate, our visual effects uh, supervisor, James Titchener, always used to come by and say, uh, you know, streaming is the future. You, you know, one of these days you should be, invest in streaming. And I thought, you know, I, I'd been hearing about streaming for years and how it was going to take over. But in my mind, I was like, if, if it was going to happen, it would have happened already. And who wants to watch TV on their laptop. And then three years later, it happened. So I, I feel as though it's the same thing now. I mean, in my mind, I think, yes, art is one thing. Um, I mean, illustrations. Uh, writing is another. It's specifically, a sense of humor is something that I think would be very difficult to capture mm-hmm. for, for an AI. And again, now I say it now and I'm kind of scoffing, but who knows, two years <laughs> down the line, we may be having a completely different conversation. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I saw that there is a there was a Twitch stream that was AI generated Seinfeld that was on for a while, and I watched mm-hmm. some of that, and it was it was bizarre. Is really the best way to put it, <laughs> right? Yeah, I did see a bit of that, and and I mean, what I said holds with regard to the humor, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> 
Awesome. Uh, Father Corey, do you, I know, know you had a question. Yeah. So uh, when, when Stargate first came out, both the movie and the first couple of seasons of SG-1, I was actually in the Air Force at the time. And it, I kind of got a kick out of, you know, I'd see them on screen. They're wearing the same uniforms I am and everything. It's kind of like, okay. So, and of course, find out later that the, the Air Force had really worked closely with with you and some of the other yeah. producers. What was that like? What, were there things that you wanted to do that the Air Force said, uh, we can't go there or vice versa? Things that the Air Force wanted to do that you kind of said, we really don't want to go there. No, it was, I mean, we were always very respectful of the Air Force and the Air Force really loved the show so much so that we had uh, two generals do guest appearances on, on our shows, General General Ryan and General Jumper. Uh, and on SG-1, I mean, the later shows, Atlantis and, and, and Universe sort of stepped away from sort of the military aspect. But with regard to SG-1, the Air Force vetted all the scripts and uh, and essentially weighed in on all the episodes. But, I mean, there was never a time – they were, they were always, it was always small things like um, saluting or not saluting indoors or wearing hats or not wearing hats. There were, there were small things. There, were, there was never any objections to – the type of stories we would tell. And, and I mean, to be honest, we were always very respectful of the, of the military. We always appreciated the, the support we received. And, you know, I think back to a lot of the fan mail we would get. And I was amazed by um, some of the fan mail we would receive from the troops who were overseas and, and would say, you know, we you know, loved watching the show. Thank you. And uh, I we even got like a video message from the space station once, which, uh, <laughs> Which that was, was amazing. Cool. Yeah. That's cool. That's awesome. Yeah, it's cool to see. Uh, I know a lot of, uh, like, I'm an army brat, and I know a lot of people, like my dad's friends, they were always really into, like, science fiction and stuff like that. I think it definitely mm -hmm. attracts that kind mm -hmm. of audience. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Do you want to go, Lisa? Sure. So I was in a, I mean, I watched Stargate from the very beginning with my husband. It was our, it was our show as we got married and had our kids. And I watch it now and my kids are grown and I, I wonder it's had such an enduring fan base. I've been surprised to see on Twitter and mm -hmm. everywhere else that everyone still is connected to the show. And you're seeing all these new fans pop up, you know, a new generation of Stargate fans. So what do you think makes it that we, we all still love it so much? What is, makes the show so unique? Yeah, I think it's a bunch of things. Uh, one of the, one aspect of the show that makes it very different from a lot of the sci-fi shows out there is the fact that it was set in the here and now, mm -hmm. and so it's a very contemporary setting. And the characters of, of for instance, in SG One, Sam, Jack, and Daniel uh, Teal Lesso uh, were <laughs> characters that audiences could connect with. Mm -hmm. And um, I mean, that's another thing. I think. Um, a lot of sci-fi in general has kind of stepped away from uh, not not all sci-fi, but um, a lot have stepped away from, I guess, kind of human stories or um, kind of lighter uh, mm -hmm. stories. Uh, I, you know, I, I one thing I always say in podcasts is I'm a firm believer in in humor being um, almost a shorthand for to, that allows audiences to connect with characters, and you look at sort of who are the fan favorites is characters yeah. like, uh, like McKay, uh, and, uh, and Eli in universe. Um, and, you know, obviously Jack in SG one, and he had that sense of humor. And even though this, 
it had its comic moments, which I think allowed audiences to really connect with the characters. Um, that didn't prevent us from going dark in many, in many stories. And I think, you know, I would argue that those flashes of humor um, made those darker moments all the more dark or all the more present uh, when we did those types of stories. So, I mean, I think it really comes down to characters and, and I think we were always fairly respectful uh, to our audience. Um, I've tried to maintain a, um, a fairly active online presence since Stargate. I'm from, you know, from, from the very beginning uh, interacted with, with the fandom. And I mean, I'll be honest with you, fandom can be a double-edged sword in that they're very passionate. So if you, if they like what you're doing, they will let you know. And uh, if they don't like what you're doing, they will definitely let you know as well. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, that's one of the things I've been really enjoying about Stargate. Cause this is actually my first watch through of the show. Um, I'm the only one on the panel who hasn't watched it previously. Like I grew up on Star Trek and Star Wars and I've always mm -hmm. been a fan of sci-fi, but I hadn't gotten around to Stargate and it's so refreshing to see like you, I can watch it and it's, it's fun. Like it, 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 ha it takes serious, it addresses serious topics and like it has dark moments, like you said, but it doesn't leave me feeling depressed. Like I feel like a lot of more modern television shows mm -hmm. have done lately. Yeah, speaking of that, you know, we've watched, my wife and I, we've watched Stargate with all of our kids, and currently our 10-year-old is the one who's who's very into it. He could tell you the the ins and outs of how the gate network works, how the <laughs> dialing computers work. He's memorized the gate addresses. Um, he's, he's, you know, he's very into it. He wants to be a gate technician when he grows up. But just thinking back to your own, your own childhood, um, you know, were there movies or TV shows that you watched that really inspired you to be, become a writer where you said, that's what I want to do? I mean, I was an avid reader growing up. Um, you know, I think back and, um, and I was reading the complete works of William Shakespeare in elementary school. And I remember I had these leather bound, uh, collected works and I had like a, a duo tang where I would dutifully, uh, take notes on on each act, and you know, my mother, mother was very proud. And then I graduated from Shakespeare to comic books, which I think alarmed her. So <laughs> I think uh, sort of direct me away from comic books. She started to gift me science fiction novels. So I discovered Asimov and and uh, Arthur C. Clarke, Harlan yeah. Ellison, uh, Bradbury. Uh, and that's how I got interested in writing. And I would write short stories. And in my mind, I thought I would always be a writer. And uh, again, you know, my mother sort of stepped in and said, well, you know, no one makes a, a living as a writer. You become a journalist or or a lawyer and maybe you write <laughs> on the side. And that didn't really appeal to me. Um, so I, I, I guess I was very lucky in many respects and, you know, um, being able to make a career out of, out of, out of uh, you know, out of something I loved. And Sci-fi was something I loved as well. And uh, again, you know, I, I never imagined I'd make a career out of it. Yet uh, here I am. So far, so good. <laughs> nice. That's awesome. Yeah, I saw that you also uh, started in a lot of children's television show. And there was uh, Richard Scarry uh, was on there. And I loved that show as a kid. <laughs> that, that that was my first uh, that was my first credit my first writing credit. I I, uh, I was trying to break into the industry, and I sent out a bunch of resumes, and I think. 10 companies wrote back and one of them, uh, which was an animation company, wrote back and said, well, we're not looking for script readers, but if you'd like to pitch 
this is how how it works. We'll send you a, a series Bible of our show and um, you pitch us some ideas. And if we like one of your ideas, we'll buy the idea and we'll hire you to write the script. And so the first, my, my, my first writing credit was on an episode of the Richard, Busy World of Richard Scary, an episode called Patrick Pig Learns to Talk. Um, that is just classic. <laughs> I, I think Joseph Malazzi, there's a, you know, a setup. It's very character centered, but then there's a twist at the end. And you can check it out. You'll love it. Um, and, uh, and that was my first sale. And then I, I, I worked my way up from, from, um, animation to live action teen sitcom. I did a series called, um, Student Bodies for um for fox and then i graduated to one hour action adventure and fairly soon landed on stargate sg1 um to be honest with you, we didn't realize it would be you know we'd go for so long we assumed we would join for season five we would um maybe do oh no we would we joined in season four we would do a fifth season and then we'd be looking for work and uh yeah uh, as it turns out we were we we're there for the long haul <laughs> Nice. That's awesome. Indeed. So if you'd had an unlimited budget on the show, like, are there any ideas that you wish you could have done that were constrained by budget or just by the technology at the time? I mean, to be honest, no. In terms of stories, we pretty much got to tell whatever stories we wanted to tell. And I'll be honest, I mean, um, we, was it like 300, almost 350 episodes of television? Uh, You know, as time goes on, if if you have an idea, you, you make it work. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Just just because uh, it's it's a machine. And I, I remember for a couple of years we were producing forty episodes of television a season, which is unheard of now. Like nowadays, where it's mm-hmm. like an eight to ten episode yeah. uh, uh, first seasons. Um, so there weren't really any stories we didn't get to tell. I mean, there were always budgetary constraints in terms of the spectacle. Um, you know, obviously everyone loves visual effects and we love the visual effects laden stories, but we always had to be very judicious and find ways to tell the smaller stories and, you know, the messages in a bottle or, or, or the, uh, you know, the dreaded clip shows, uh, that would help us pay for the, for the later <laughs> yeah. episodes. But we found that, you know, a lot of the times those smaller episodes were the ones that fans ended up really responding mm-hmm. to. And mm-hmm. like, I mean, um, uh, ripple effect is one, um, and window of opportunity is another, yeah. um, even though, I mean, there, there was some off world, uh, uh, adventuring, it was a, a self-contained episode, but we leaned into the characters, we leaned into the humor and surprisingly that episode has, you know, really stood the test of time in, simply so far as the fandom is concerned. I always, you know, it always makes it the, the the top of the fan favorite lists, which mm-hmm. is amazing. It heartens me. <laughs> yeah, no, it's definitely great. one of our favorites uh, yeah. yes. on the podcast here. <laughs> yeah. well, if you guys like time loop episodes, I advise you to check out Dark Matter Season 3, Episode 4. So um, I knew I wanted to write a, a, a time loop episode for Dark Matter. And you know, I struggled and struggled with it. And I ended up watching, I think, three dozen separate time loop episodes of, of like whatever 36 different TV shows and various movies oh, wow. around the low run and, and Groundhog Day. And I distilled the formula. And then, I mean, one thing I always did on, 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 I love doing on Dark Matter is present kind of the sci-fi trope 
and then subvert audience expectations. So mm-hmm. episode 304, all the time in the world, uh, check it out. So it's, it's a perfect yeah. bookend to my career. You know, kind of started with window of opportunity mm-hmm. and uh, maybe almost ending with, uh, with uh, all the time in the world. You, uh, you mentioned Run, Lola, Run, and then you got to cast uh, Franca Potente on, uh, yes, on Dark yes, Matter, which, yeah, was, all, which yeah. was a treat to see her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That, she, she was great, and that was a lot of fun. Uh, that was actually in response to the German broadcasters, because they, the just international sci-fi fans have always been so amazing. Um, and it always it, it struck me as, as almost bizarre how – you know, these Stargate producers would go to LA to take meetings and, you know, we'd say, oh, we worked on, on Stargate and executives there would, would be like, oh, is was that here in the US? Whereas <laughs> if, if Christopher Judge is walking down the yeah. streets of Paris, even to this day, people will like run up to him, Monsieur Tilk, Monsieur Tilk. <laughs> and, and it's just kind of a world of difference. So uh, the international buyers or international broadcasters are very supportive of Dark Matter. And it's kind of a thank you. You asked, well, who would you like? to see guest star on the show and yeah. Nice. That's, yeah, yeah. They, it's awesome. So, yeah. That is awesome. So I, you know, as a priest, you know, morality is a big issue in my life. You know, it's something I'm concerned or interested in. And you know, that one thing I liked about the Stargate series is not afraid to talk about moral issues. You know, that was something you would bring up. And as you mentioned, there are times where you had some very dark issues to deal with, but you know, but Stargate took a very, different approach to like the morality of being involved in other cultures than say like Star Trek does, mm-hmm. you know, Star Trek, you know, you got the prime directive, you got things like that. And we, there's kind of the running joke yeah. online about, you know, the prime directive, we can't give them weapons. Stargate, here's a P90. You know? <laughs> yeah. The anti-prime directive. Yes. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Exactly. You know, are there, were there issues that you wanted to kind of look at, you know, maybe even consequences to that morality that the Stargate universe had? Um, I'm just trying to remember if, if we, if we did explore, I mean, you know, in, in, in my mind, I mean, we did like, well, I mean, I was involved in maybe closer to 300 episodes. Um, so in many ways, they're all a blur. I remember the specific episodes, but in terms of themes, I'm trying to think, I, you know, I feel as though it would be, it would have been something that we, you know, we would have looked to address in, in an episode or two. Yeah, because I, I, I couldn't remember any mm-hmm. any episodes. You know, there there are obviously, like I said, there are episodes where uh, you can think of where they're giving, they're showing the the Jaffa all the different you know Earth weapons and things like that. You know, and that yeah. was obviously very much. You, I mean, I mean, this we, is better than what you have. But yeah, I can't I'm, remember. We, any we, we would get a lot of flack for that online. I you know as much as, as many fans loved SG One, a lot of um, I wouldn't say fans, a lot of people who took exception with the show, the fact that they were military, they were going out. Um, they were, in, in their view, colonizing other worlds. Um, so we would get a lot of that on the message boards mm-hmm. as well. And again, it was something we were always mindful of. And uh, and ultimately, I think once once um, Atlas, SG-1 and Atlantis, Atlantis was very much followed in SG-1's for, uh, footsteps tonally and just in terms of the, you know the type of stories we told. I think Brad and Robert wanted to kind of change up the pace, and which is why – they they created uh, Stargate Universe, which was darker, uh, more serialized, and uh, you know I think if it had aired today, it would it 
would have done very well. But I think at the time, especially coming on the heels of Star- the Stargate Atlantis cancellation, the fans were not in a good mood. And they were presented <laughs> yeah. with a show called Stargate that, you know, was not as funny. And, you know, uh, so uh, they, they took exception and, and uh, it was unfortunate. We did two seasons, which is fine, but um, it would have been nice to have uh, gone, gone a little longer. Do you, do you think we can get back to funny like sci-fi or you know something that where the characters you know do the right things and you can watch with your kids and yeah, I'm trying I for one am trying so I, <laughs> I, I got a couple of yeah a, a couple of pitches out there but I mean you know it's 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 funny I I don't watch a lot of sci-fi television um, just simply because when I'm in, when I'm in development. Uh, if I'm not writing or working on something, I feel guilty. And the, so the yeah. only break I take is reading because in my mind, I think reading is almost a type of research I could be looking, you know, this could be the next thing I read could be a yeah. book I'd be looking to adapt. Yeah. Um, whereas, I mean, you know, sitting down and, and investing time in a television show, I, I you know, it's something I, I, I don't know, I can't, I can't um, reconcile. Mm-hmm. I, I, when, when I'm in, um, when I'm in development, when I'm in production at that point, I know what needs to be done at the end of the day, the work, uh, whatever the script that needs to be written, the episode that needs to be produced, the, or edited, once that's done, then I know I have free time. And at that point, that's when I catch up on all my, my TV watching, but I don't know. I, you know, there's so many Star Trek shows out there. I would imagine that at least one of them has a sense of humor. No, I don't know. I, I, yeah. I'm, I'm honest. Yeah. I, I don't know. It's uh, been trending that way. Definitely. Yeah. And yeah, there's an nice. animated one, Lower Decks, that is, it's very much almost satire on Star yeah. Trek and it's great. It's wonderful. There you go. <laughs> All right, I'll, I'll, t- I'll just stop you off from talking about Star Trek. I'll jump in. This is a running It's a running concern. joke with, with them. Uh, so back in the day, and even now, and the guys give me a little grief for it, I've always been a Sam Jack Shipper. I, I, I was mm-hmm. one of those people. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just wondered, I've seen your comments on Beneath the Surface and some of the others. How did y'all walk that fine line of their relationship? And my, my impression, I always thought... Y'all did a great job. I liked it that it wasn't too much. It wasn't too. It's like just a little bit of tease to the fans, a little bit of, you know, a nod, and then move on. Um, yeah. And did you get a lot of grief for it? I mean, we did. I, I, I think I was fairly vocal. Like I said, I've I've always been fairly active online, and I was very vocal about the fact that I was actually a Sam Jack shipper, and if I could ship them, I would have. But uh, and basically, and then I got flack from the anti shippers. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, but it was kind of an easy decision for us because, you know, from a military mm-hmm. standpoint, it just – that wouldn't have flown. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I think, you know, we talked about the fact that the Air Force vetted all the scripts and if something mm-hmm. would have happened, that would have been very inappropriate and they would have pushed back. And so it's just something we – you know, it wasn't really possible for us to pursue. But there was always the opportunity to hint – and, and, you know, like, for instance, there's that moment in window of opportunity where, where Jack essentially resigns yeah. and then <laughs> dips her. Uh, so you know that there was a possibility of, yeah. of, of, um, you know, uh, of something more. And, um, I think in, I mean, the only way it would have 
ultimate work was would be to, to have had Jack retire. And you know, I don't think I'm speaking out of school when I say that in Brad's pilot for the new series, he actually wrote a pilot for a new series that he pitched to MGM and they liked, but they sent off to Amazon and Amazon has gone dark. And I think they're talking to some other people, but uh, it's pretty clear that Jack has retired and he and Sam are an item. Yeah. Um, so sad, you know, sadly, <laughs> oh, no. you know, it's in, it's in a pilot that doesn't look like it's going to get produced. No. But it Shameful, existed. But yes, yes. <laughs> Poor Daniel. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Victor well. is a Daniel Sam shipper. <laughs> He's right there. He's not in the no. military. Daniel's like a sibling. It's I don't funny know. because that I would always we always get these Sam Jack uh, shippers and the anti shippers who were actually Jack Daniel shippers. Yes. Um, yeah. The Daniel Sam shippers oh, they were a rarity. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There you go. All the signs are there. You just have to connect the dots. <laughs> he has a cork board with like <laughs> yeah. everything in his room. <laughs> he touched her arm. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of uh, Jack and Daniel, um, I've kind of felt like they are representative of the two kind of almost opposing uh, views of the Stargate program in the show. Like Daniel is the scientist coming in and he's very much focused on the science and the knowledge of that. And then Jack's main focus is kind of what the primary stated mission is, which is finding technology to help earth. And you def you see them clash a lot about that. Yeah. Um, and so I really like that. Was that something that arose organically or was that something that was planned? Oh, no, that was something that preexisted our um, involvement in the show. And so one of our first episodes was an episode called Scorched Earth, where they really have it out and in, 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 with regard to how yeah. they deal with this situation where, where the ship is terraforming a planet that is essentially already occupied. Mm -hmm. And of course, Jack wants to blast the ship out of the sky. Um, Daniel wants to use diplomacy. And... Um, you know, there's a point in the episode where Daniel is on the ship and Jack gives the order to the blow to blow it up. Uh, but the, the alien on board, I think his name is Lotan, overrides. Yeah. I, I, or, and and um, it's essentially, a, I guess, a happy ending. Uh, well, it's got a really bittersweet ending in that sort of Lotan decides to shut down the terraforming. He's convinced to uh to shut down and and you know the 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 um the alien race he's caretaking essentially perishes um uh so it, it was uh you know i i was that? no hang on was rewritten no, that, no yeah sorry you <laughs> yeah, was rewritten yeah. yes no yeah. i'm thinking of my my uh, the original <laughs> version actually was kind of dark where uh he actually shuts it down and uh and no actually at the end I, no, now that i think of it <laughs> That was our first episode, and I really hated the ending. That was, you know, <laughs> when you first, you know, in that first season, um, you know, as you're trying to capture the voices, mm -hmm. the showrunners will always rewrite you to a certain extent, and and so they rewrote the ending to the episode. And uh, yeah, I think about that now. You're bringing me back. I'm flashing back to like really. Bad Sorry. memories of uh, you know I, I did not like and I like the ending I forget how how it ended I think basically they ended up moving the people off the planet 
And I was like, that mm-hmm. is such an easy, why didn't anybody think of that from the very beginning? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then Daniel found a planet for them in the database that they could live on and they zipped yeah. off to there. Yeah. 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 Oh my God. If I would have pitched that, I would never have landed on the show. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> speaking of, speaking of pitches. Um, so, you know, there's a new generation. I think of my kids, you know, they, they have stories to tell that they want to tell to, you know, a larger audience. Um, what's sort of, what sort of advice would you, would you give to them? You know, is, is it, you know, just read a lot, practice your writing in every way you can send out pitches, you know, grab a eight millimeter camera and make your movie. <laughs> ah, well, I mean, there's so many ways to go about it, but I would say if you're looking to write, then write, read a lot, uh, write even more, um, try to get in touch with people who work in the industry. I think Twitter is, you know, as, as, as maddening as it can be, it's a great opportunity to, to connect with uh, professionals and interact with them online. Uh, I got my foot in the door through animation. Uh, and I find, or, you know, historically, it's always been e- easier to break into animation just because they do so much more of it and they're always looking uh. for new writers. Uh, and it allows you to get your foot in the door in the industry it allows you to hone your craft and allows you to get paid while you do it and then hopefully make the transition from animation to live action, which is what we did. Uh, I, I, when I say we, I refer to my uh, former writing partner and I, Paul Molly, from animation to live action teen sitcom to one hour action adventure. I mean, that's kind of a, a kind of a longer road, but um, you know, I, I, you know I, I think back to something a, a friend of mine once said that um, breaking into the business is like breaking out of prison. Everyone goes about it differently because as soon as you found a way out, the authorities kind of seal up that, uh, <laughs> that escape yeah. uh, tunnel. And so you got to find another way. Um, so what I think animation is, is, is a great way in. And then just in general, um, always have two great scripts. One, original pilot that demonstrates your ability to create worlds and create characters. And then another spec script that that, uh, specs an existing show that shows that you're able to capture the tone and the voices of, you know, a show that's already out there. Excellent advice. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, I think you were, you were saying this before the show, Victor, but wasn't a dark, didn't dark matter start as a graphic novel? Uh, You know, I got my start. Uh, in animation, writing animation. Then eventually I became a director of development at an animation studio. And I would come across these great original ideas. And whenever I pitched them to the executives, they'd be like, "Eh, you know, not really interested. But if I pitched them like the most banal book, they'd be like, that's great. And of course, that's great because it's an IP, it's an intellectual property, and it's in their mind a proven uh, property. Uh, so I was very cognizant of that after I wrote the Dark Matter pilot. And I thought, okay, we could go out and we could try to pitch it. Or I could reach out to a comic book company and establish it as an IP. And that's what I did. I reached out to uh, Dark Horse Comics. And we ended up publishing what would be the first two episodes of Dark Matter as a four-issue uh, miniseries. And then Jay Firestone of uh, Prodigy Pictures went out and he pitched the series with the comic book. And as I've often said, executives, when you pitch them, will 
imagine the worst possible execution of your vision. But having the comic book there as a visual aid, yeah. I think, helped a lot. And so he ended up selling the show, obviously, with the pitch and the comic book. And we went into development. And they're like, well, okay, great. We want you to write the first, you know, the pilot. And we're like, okay. And we sat on our hands for two weeks and then basically pulled the pilot out. <laughs> and it was like, here you go. And they're like, great. This is just like the comic book. And, uh, you know, we and went from there. Nice. That's awesome. <laughs> um, I was going to ask actually something about Stargate Universe, but you, uh, mm. the series Stargate Universe and kind of the, the change in tone, um, yeah. because it really is a much darker and, you know, I, I, I'd heard it kind of described at the time and you probably had too, is basically Battlestar Galactica in the, uh, yeah. in right. the, uh, Stargate Universe. Um, yeah. and, but was that also kind of a conscious choice to look at, you know, again, going back to kind of the moral issues that they're dealing with. They're in a completely different circumstance, a completely different situation. They're, you know, cut off from Earth and everything. You know, was was there kind of that conscious choice as well? It, very much so. And, you know, this this would be a better question for Brad and Robert, who really created the series. But they wanted to do something different. And at the time, I don't even think they wanted to necessarily do a Stargate show. Uh, but... Everybody wanted a new Stargate show. So the show that they had envisioned <laughs> became a Stargate series. And I think they, they were, they, they kind of pitched it and, and the networks were excited and they were like, well, what do you call it? And I, I think they came up with the name on the spot. They were like, I don't, Stargate Universe. And they're like, that's great. Yeah. And, and so Stargate <laughs> Universe was, was born. But yeah, I mean, it was very dark. It, um, yeah, looking back, I think it maybe suffered a bit from a lack of pacing. Especially in the first half of the first season, as you're, you know, kind of a kind of a slow burn narrative, as you're, you're establishing the world and the characters, and uh, and the shipboard dynamics was very, you know, claustrophobic and dark, mm -hmm. and, and especially the lighting. Um, you know, I, I would hear from fans all the time, we can't see anything; the corners are too dark. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and it's funny because I remember, you know, we would watch. The every episode, obviously, we would watch the mixes and and we would watch the show looked fantastic on our, uh, you know, our on our TVs in 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 uh, in editing or in the in the writers' room. But I remember watching it on on at home and I was and I was like, wow, this is really dark. They were right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think we all have our favorite guest stars, and y'all did such a good job of bringing in a lot of great talent. So do you have a favorite across any of the shows who a favorite of who to work with or who to write for? Yeah, I both uh, is the same uh, person. That would be Robert Picardo. So yes. when, you know, I, I, I was also a big Star Trek fan growing up. I watched the sixties uh, early version. I, I, I could never get into Star Trek uh, next gen. It's, it's one of those, uh, Star Trek's I skipped over just because I found the uniform so ill-fitting and everyone was so <laughs> stiff. I was like, I don't know. Um, and then I ended up, uh, I, wa I watched, I think, I watched uh, Deep Space Nine on and off and I did like it. I just didn't have time. And then I, I watched Voyager at a time where my ex and I were living on, on um, opposite sides of the country. And I thought that was kind of very sort of thematically on point. And we <laughs> yeah. would both watch uh, Voyager and then discuss afterwards. And I loved Bob, uh, uh, Bob's portrayal of, of the doctor. And I had always wanted to get him on the show. We had to get him on the show 
uh, as Woolsey on, on SG1. Mm-hmm. And he, he was just so good. And he was just such a good guy. And, um, you know, you know, I think back to um, kind of the process of writing the scripts and we would write the scripts. And, you know, once they went down to set, sometimes, you know, we would never know what would, you know, how they would turn out because sometimes the actors would say something completely different. And, and sometimes it was a pleasant surprise and other times it was, you know, a bit of a head scratcher. And that was a Rick, Richard Dean Anderson yeah. was like notorious for doing that. But Bob Picardo and Bo Bridges, I mean, two guys yeah. who had worked so much in the industry, they would always come up to the office and be like, do you mind if we change this word? And it would be just the, the most innocuous changes. And we would be like, yeah, of course. And we always, always appreciated the fact that they did that. And, um, you know, that's one takeaway. Uh, you know, I, you know, I, I always brought, uh, I have in the back of my mind about uh, working with Bob, but, you know, over time, I mean, I just love Bob. I love his character. So we kind of redeemed him. And I mean, one of the ways we redeem him is I mentioned the fact that humor allows, you know, audiences to connect with characters and to humanize them. And, uh, and that's what we did with, with, with Woolsey. And he was introduced as kind of this annoying pencil pusher. And then we got to know him and, and realize that, you know, there was a, kind of a sense of nobility about him. And, uh, you know, I wrote him into a couple of SG One scripts, like the, the Scourge, and uh, and Atlantis. And then, after when, when Amanda ended up getting Sanctuary, was d- decided to leave for Sanctuary. I knew who I had to call, and I called up Bob. And at, but at that point, we were actually very good friends, and to this day, we remain very very good friends. And I said, you know, I want you to come in and do the show. And he was like, I, you know, I, you know, I don't know. I'm going to have to ask. He was married at the time. He's like, I, I'm going to have to ask my wife. And I was like, sure. And then he called me back. He's like, okay. And um, and I was like, great. So we're going to get in touch with your agent. And back then, previously, whenever we would have to do deals, we would always have to go through MGM Business Affairs. And it would take months and months and months. And so I just called our casting agent and um, to get in touch with his agent, find out what his quote is. And uh, we'll pay the quote and um, we want to get him on the show. And we closed the deal that afternoon. I mean, it was wow, it was the wow. fastest deal we ever closed. And and then Bob was on Stargate Atlantis and he was – his character of Woolsey was the most fun yes. to write for. And and you could sort of chart his, his uh, redemption from the early SG-1 to Atlantis, you know, his first appearance as Atlantis to that uh, fifth season – where, you know, we take him uh, from from that pencil pusher to the commander of the uh, of of, of uh, the Atlantis expedition, and just kind of those funny kind of warm moments. Like I remember writing that one scene where um, I could never figure out how those doors open or cl- and close in that <laughs> yes. conference room, and so I kind of made a gag of it where basically everybody gets up and leaves, yeah. and he's the last oh, yeah. one there, and he gets up to go, and then the doors close on him, and he's like trying to figure out how how to open them. And then, uh, I mean, his comedic timing was always great. So I wrote that episode, um, who's, uh, you know, it's a title I can never remember, but essentially there were three stories going on. There was, uh, McKay dealing with this alien device, piece of technology that he'd recovered and and dealing with Zelenka. There was Shepard caught on the mainland, uh, with yeah. uh, with Kolya who cuts off his hand, uh, <laughs> and then there's 
uh, Woolsey, who is smitten with this new, I think she's Aussie uh, scientist, uh, and 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 you know, kind of playing the, this kind of game, and then ultimately you realize that the device McKay is is testing is causing them all to hallucinate, mm-hmm. uh, and so um, Shepard's hand isn't really cut off. Um, he's just uh, hallucinating Kolya and 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 uh, McKay's hallucinating Zelensky and uh, not Zelensky, Zelenka, <laughs> Zelenka, <laughs> Zelenka. yeah. Uh, and uh, you know, we find out that uh, the the woman that Wolsey is smitten with is actually an alien who uh, you know who who is looking for a way home. And uh, it was just kind of a fun episode in that you know those are the type of stories I love to tell, where there are three seemingly disconnected stories that end up dovetailing at the end in satisfactory fashion. And mm-hmm. uh, and also, you know, also it was just great to see Bob flexes. Uh, his comedic acting chops. Yeah. My favorite Woolsey moment early on, and this is kind of where it really humanizes them is after they've had a rough day and he's in his, you know, Atlantis uniform. And he says, I'm going to go slip into something more comfortable. <laughs> and it cuts to his quarters and he's wearing a suit and he has a glass yeah. of wine. He's listening to Mozart or something. I think, I think yeah. that was Bob's idea. He, he actually pitched that to me and I was like, I love it. And then we wrote it into the script. Yeah. It was, it was a beautiful moment. Yeah. I mean, that just gets me every time. Yeah. <laughs> and as, as a fan, you know, he's so great at developing these characters as an actor, you know, mm-hmm. I, I know a lot of development of the character comes from the writers and the producers and so on, but also the actor, I, I'm sure has a lot to do with that. Yeah. And, yeah. You I, know, both, yeah. both the doctor and Wolsey are both characters that they go from really being kind of secondary characters to being primary important characters of the series. Yeah. I mean, I can't speak to what happened on Star, Star, Star Trek, but on Stargate, it was very much that he was a smaller character who just impressed us. And we just kind of loved working with the guy. And, and just Bob is, is a genuinely great guy. So, um, it was one thing I said very early on in my career was that if some, if, if someone I worked with was genuinely great, I would, let people know as much as possible. And then if someone I work with wasn't great, I would never mention them. So. <laughs> Do we want to ask that question? Best <laughs> yeah, no. not to. <laughs> oh, goodness. Yeah, it's, um, were there any characters, speaking of kind of on that same thread, who were, when they were sort of envisioned, they ended up going in a very, very different direction from what, y'all were planning when you were writing them just by virtue of how the actors were like would uh would Woolsey be one of those or were there ones that kind of did the opposite where you envision them being as more like good and they end up being ended up being more of a negative character no Woolsey was one obviously but the character of Rodney McKay was another one Mm. I mean he was a character who was simply a pain in the ass in (laughs) SG-1 and then we were gearing up to produce Atlantis, and there was a a character that was written, Doctor Benjamin something. I don't, I, I, I forget. And we couldn't cast him, and we were getting closer and closer to principal photography, and they were scrambling. They were like, "Well, we need this uh, this character. <laughs> we can't cast him. What are we going to do?" And then Rob Cooper suggested, "Why don't we bring McKay?" Uh, 
to Atlantis. And, and we were like, oh, I mean, he's just so unlikable. We really want him. And, and at that point, I didn't even, I, I don't know if, if we even mentioned it. I think we, we did mention his first name and, and we're like, what is his first name? And, and, uh, Rob was like Rodney. I think he met, he he named it after a guy he went to high school with. I'm like, that's a terrible name. Can we change the name? And we're like, no, it's too late. And uh, and so we ended up bringing Rodney McKay onto Atlantis, and uh, it was a very fortuitous, very smart decision. Uh, in that, you know, he's a character who he didn't stop being. No. really a jerk but we just understood him <laughs> yeah. a little more yeah. and again through you know his sense of humor we got to like him a lot mm-hmm. and in fact i mean he was i think by far the uh the fan favorite on that show yeah it's hard to imagine atlantis without rodney yeah McKay, yeah and really tough to to have the audience come to like a character without sanding off the edges the rough spots you know right yeah <laughs> it was a mm-hmm. yeah definitely you get more more of a rounded view of people as time goes on. And that's true in television too. <laughs> yeah. And those are honestly the, the type of characters I love to write for. And I love to watch, you know, the ones who aren't so black or white or are the type of characters who you may hate in the beginning and end up loving or vice versa characters you love and then end up <laughs> hating. Like, you know, in uh, I think, Back to like two shows uh, that I love, The Shield and Breaking Bad, and they did the opposite. In The Shield, you're introduced to this you know bad cop called Vic Mackey who ends up shooting another cop in the pilot, and you hate this character. And then over time, you know, despite yourself, you begin to like him. Uh, whereas with Walter White in Breaking Bad, he's this poor high school chemistry teacher who finds out he's got cancer and he's dying and you feel such sympathy for the character. But then by the end of the series run, he's like, yeah, you know, uh, monster. an animal, a monster. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. That's awesome. Awesome. Well, we uh, really appreciate you uh, joining us tonight. Um, do you want to let the audience know where they can find you online? I know it's a uh, pretty easy. You're always very involved with the, the fandom and we've yeah, always really I, appreciated that. I, uh, you can find me on Twitter at uh, Baron Destructo, so it'd be easy to remember. I uh, I do frequent the um, uh, the Reddit, uh, the Stargate subreddit, mm-hmm. uh, and I also have Instagram, which I've just been using um, recently. I hated the fact that you couldn't post from your laptop, but I think they've sorted that out. So on Twitter, on um, on uh, Reddit and on Instagram, I've been posting uh, Stargate concept art for the past, mm. I think, three or four months. So you can get all caught up on that. Uh, I also have a blog, Uh where I discuss everything from my ancient uh, 17-year-old pug to <laughs> Stargate to... Uh, I think I'm doing a horror movie marathon. I'm about 206 yeah. movies in um, to K-pop. Uh, so uh, I cover it all. So that's where you can find me. Awesome. I love I love yeah. seeing your your concept art that you post. You know, yes. seeing what yeah. what your the artists were thinking and what you probably were thinking as a writer oh. as well, working with them. And yeah, what I'm gonna ended dr- up with. I'm going to drop actually one interesting um, uh, piece of concept art or two pieces of concept art in in the upcoming um, day or two, I think, uh, for the episode Missing in Atlantis, where um, Jules' character and uh, Rachel's character end up being, you know, Taylor and, and Dr. Keller end up being 
lost in the woods and they have to eat something and they end up spearing this uh tail ends up spearing this creature that um it looks like 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 a like a a squid or a jellyfish and she ends up eating and in the script i i described it as a space gopher and basically what I'm going to do is I want to show you the concept for the space gopher and what we ended up with uh, oh, in the end and uh, drastically different, drastically different. So uh, you can look forward to that. Awesome. Wonder, yeah. I'll have to, yeah. Have to check that out. Before we go, we'd like to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of Stargate, including Jared C, Joseph W, Matthew B, Joshua N and Paula W. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of Stargate and all the shows at StarQuest. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give and be sure to follow the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or on the SQPN YouTube channel. To find previous episodes of Secrets of Stargate and to send feedback, please visit sqpn.com slash Stargate. And you can email us at stargate at sqpn.com or follow StarQuest on social media at facebook.com slash starquestmedia or on Twitter at sqpn. And we'll be back next time when we'll be discussing the next episode of SG-1. Until then, Joseph Malazzi, thank you very much for joining us and sharing the secrets of Stargate. Thank you. It was a lot of fun. And Father Corey, thank you too. Well, thank you, Jack. And Lisa Jones, thank you as well. Thanks, Jack. And Victor Lambs, thank you too. Thanks, Jack. Once again, I'm Jack Barazzini. Thank you for listening to The Secret to Stargate on StarQuest. Anyway, I'm sorry, but that just happens to be how I feel about it. What do you think? Here's another show on the StarQuest network you're sure to enjoy. The Secrets of Technology. Find it wherever fine podcasts are found or at sqpn.com slash technology.